0: So as we've been down here at the waterfront, we are working through this, this topic series where we are talking about some of the assumptions that we hear about Christianity. We're calling it, You Have Heard It Said, kind of co-opting Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, where he was speaking to an audience where their picture of what it meant to be religious, of what it meant to be on God's side didn't always line up with the kingdom of God. And Jesus answered, he said, you've heard it said one thing, but I am telling you this. There are a lot of things that people around us in our culture have heard about Christianity or have seen kind of from the outside. Or maybe even those of us who have grown up or spent a lot of time in the church, we are kind of sorting through these things that we've heard to be true about Christianity, but may not actually be so. Let me give you an example. Our first week we tackled this this idea that Christianity is anti-science. And sometimes we feel like we have to pick one side of, I'm either going to take science seriously or I'm going to take the Bible and faith seriously. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, all truth is God's truth. And the more we dive into the study of God's creation, the more it's going to point us back to Him. Last week, we talked about the idea that Christianity is a white man's religion. But we we realized that Christianity is a global movement of people of all languages and nations and backgrounds, even though it has been used in the past as a weapon this week. We are going to talk about this idea that many of us have had and many of us maybe have experienced. This idea that Christians are against everything. If you have a Bible app or a Bible with you, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today. I'm going to get you to to start heading there now so that by the time we get there, you have it open. Colossians chapter 2. But this idea that Christians are against everything might be a little bit Warranted. I don't know about you, but if you've seen the movie Footloose, right, the whole thing is about this town that can't dance or listen to rock and roll music because the Baptist pastor said you can't, and then it becomes comes town law, and all of a sudden, you know, there's this whole thing of if you're a Christian you shouldn't dance. There's this kind of notorious like stereotype the Baptists don't dance. I won't dance for you because I'm a Baptist, but it's not because it's wrong to do. Is because I shouldn't dance. But that may seem like just some fictional tale of, oh, some far off fictional town in an 80s movie. But I'll, I'll give you an example from the life of my grandparents. The, the night that my grandmother and grandfather met, he took her to the Roll Away Club in Charlottetown back in the 60s. I hear some chuckles. My grandmother wasn't allowed to go to the Roll Away Club because there's dancing. Heaven forbid what could happen when people are dancing. But maybe you have experience or you have grandparents or maybe you yourself grew up in an environment where, you don't play cards on Sunday. PEI actually, within recent history, within my lifetime, has allowed shopping on Sundays, which wasn't a thing in the past. And maybe you remember when that transition happened, for some people in the Christian community, there was like a bit of eye of suspicion of, Oh, you're gonna let your business open up on Sundays? Like, are you really devoted? When I was in Bible college, I had to sign a contract of of behavior of things like, well, I'm not going to to smoke and drink and be involved in all kinds of uh, behaviors with the opposite sex, as well as things like, I'm not going to watch R-rated movies or have hair that touches my shoulders or wear low-cut jeans things that for some reason don't seem to fit the same way on the list we have these ideas that christians have have set up these rules that they seem to be against everything they they tell you to not smoke drink or chew or dance with girls that do and many of us have inherited this picture of christianity A Christianity where where God seems to be this cosmic killjoy that is just telling you, no, you can't do this and can't do this and can't do this and can't do that. This idea that you have to be solemn and serious, especially on Sundays. Don't laugh. We don't tell jokes on Sundays. The picture of Christianity in the media that is often portrayed is uh, especially in our time right now, is is that Christianity is a a movement of anti-gay, anti-abortion picketing groups. A political movement that lines up with conservative values and opposes anything that might come from the other end of the, the aisle. We're known more about what we're against than what we're for. And it seems like Christians are against everything. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, so why is this a problem? I've I've fit into this okay. But the problem is that there are a lot of things that as Christians we have set ourselves up against that are not actually central to what it means to follow Jesus. I don't think playing cards is actually one of the commandments of Jesus. In fact, I think I challenge you to find somewhere in Scripture where Jesus tells you that smoking and chewing and drinking and dancing with girls that do is a contrary to the way of Jesus. But for some people, for many Christians, these have become markers of what it means to be truly devoted. If you have grown up in the church, you have received that look if you've worn a hat. You have had that look when people have seen you out on a Saturday night. I remember reading in one of my uh, classes in Bible college about the tradition and denomination that that school was part of, that they had a split over whether you should wear gold wedding rings or not. And true devotion to being a follower of Jesus and modesty and all these things is I'm not going to own expensive golden jewelry. And so I'm not going to wear wedding rings. And to be devoted is to be against wearing golden wedding rings. These kinds of things show up over and over and over, and maybe that's your experience of Christianity. But I want to let you know that Paul the Apostle has something to say about that. We're going to turn to our passage in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 16 to 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul says this, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels or saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are, are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. We're going to be going back to Paul's words here, but I want to kind of just take a bit of a sidebar before we dig into this, and I've been sounding very negative and condemning of maybe the the kind of Christianity that has been uh, handed down to us, and I want us for a second to contemplate maybe that some of the don'ts, some of the things that Christians have put themselves up against, have been have been put there with the best of intentions. If you're someone who has seen Footloose, Reverend Shaw Moore, who's the the Baptist minister of the town who, who has banned dancing. He did so because there was a horrific accident which took the lives of five teenagers after a night where they were out dancing and were hit by a drunk driver. It was because of that pain and trying to deal with that that he decided to ban the dancing. I want to give the benefit of the doubt, trusting that many of these things that Christians have set themselves up against have come out of a genuine heart of devotion. Let me give you an example. The the popularity of teetotaling in Christianity, that many Christian traditions decide we're not going to consume alcohol as a whole. The temperance movement that gave rise to the popularity of this in the late 1800s and early 1900s, began as a movement, especially by Christians, who were trying to uh, protect and and find ways where uh, where women and families could avoid the domestic abuse that came with the alcoholism of the time. In fact, I read a stat this week that Americans drank three times as more back then than they do today. And so as a response of trying to protect women and children from domestic abuse, this movement of temperance, of teetotaling, of, of prohibition came about. You think of things like playing cards on Sundays or or shopping on Sundays. Things that may not seem like a big deal for many was something that they put in place in their lives as a way of setting a day aside to worship God. To say, I don't want to get sucked into the, the consumerism and patterns of the world around me at least one day a week. The problem is is that one generation's genuine act of worship and devotion can become the next generation's legalism when it is separated and disconnected from the transformed and grace-filled life of Jesus. See, the solution isn't to say, okay, this is a law now that this is a rule that you're breaking to play cards on Sundays or to have a glass of wine. The solution is, isn't forced behavior through law. It's a changed heart, as Paul says in this passage in Colossians. You see in verse 23, he says, these rules, they seem wise because they require strong devotion and pious self-discipline and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. In fact, a lot of the things that we've set ourselves up against in these ways, the, the things that Christians are against, are often dealing with a symptom rather than the core issue itself. Let's go back to the teetotaling thing. For a long time, Christians have said, just don't drink so that drinking doesn't become a problem. Which, yes, I can understand that logic, but to the one who already is caught up with drinking who battles alcoholism on a regular basis, to hear the message from Christians of just don't drink isn't helpful. Just don't drink and you'll be fine. Just stay away from alcohol. But what about the thing that might actually be causing the person to drink? That has developed the addiction, the internal dread, the unforgiveness, the nagging sense of guilt, the, the need to escape, those things deep below the surface that are behind the behavior. To just say, stop doing that, does nothing to get to the deep parts of the heart that need healing and transforming. That's something that only Jesus can do. See, the message of the church doesn't need to be primarily stop acting this way, but needs to rather be come follow Jesus. A great tragedy of of how Christianity has been portrayed to many people is that we have shouted stop and we have whispered Jesus. And in doing so, we've put the cart before the horse. And we have been portrayed as a group of morality police rather than a group of the sick who are all finding healing in the great physician. The posture that we have often taken is to be anti. To be reactionary. Particularly since the the cultural and sexual revolution of the 60s, Christians have too often been on our heels And they've developed the the religious right and the moral majority as, as responses to how culture has gone. But what if instead of being a reactionary people, what if instead of setting ourselves up as anti, what if we took on the posture of a servant? What if we took our cue from Jesus? And rather than being reactionary and combative, we listened especially to those outside the faith with whom we disagree? What if we got past all the the symptoms that we might disagree with or that we might have been told are not okay and listened to a heart that is like yours and mine that's in desperate need of the healing and forgiveness of Jesus? What if instead of shouting stop, We listened. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of things that Jesus will call us to stand against. In fact, Jesus in his invitation to those who would follow him, he said, if you want to be my follower, you must first give up your own way or deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. It is a reprioritization. It is a saying no to a lot of what I have wanted to do. Jesus calls us to be against our sin, to be against injustice, to be against our pride and false religiosity. And Jesus will change and confront our sexual ethic. He will change and confront our desire for revenge and unforgiveness. He will change and challenge and confront our tendency towards violence and our addiction to putting ourselves first. But Jesus will also call us to extend grace to the sexually promiscuous. To extend grace to the unforgiving and to the violent and to the selfish. That they too might find Jesus in Jesus the forgiveness and healing that He died on the cross to give them. The challenge for those of us who call ourselves Christians is do we know how to articulate what we are for more than what we're against? Do we know what we're for? Could we explain, could we joyfully talk about the gospel and what we stand for? Not just the things that we're against. We are for All of God's creation finding its purpose and redemption and cleansing through Jesus of Nazareth. We are for those of us who have cursed God and gone our own way to have our eyes open to the grandeur and beauty and great love that our God has shown us in Jesus. We are a people who are for the life of the crucified and resurrected Jesus to ripple out into the lives of his followers so that the good news of hope and cleansing and transformation and forgiveness might be seen and experienced through his people. We are for people who are far off being brought close. We are for the lonely to find their true home. We are for the vulnerable to find strength in Jesus. For the oppressed to experience God's justice. We are for God to be glorified in a people who no longer fear death. We're for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. The question for us today if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, brothers and sisters, are we known for what we're for, not just what we're against? What are the ways that you might be called to enter into some of those tricky places, not to shout, stop, and act this way, but to listen? And to show how Jesus is actually the hope for the deep longings of the human heart. Who are the people that have seen a Christianity in us that is far from Jesus? That we need to display the grace and mercy of a Jesus who died on the cross to. How can we welcome those into the kingdom? rather than setting up greater boundaries our call as christians is like the disciples who invited nathaniel to come and see come and see this man who i believe is the messiah who's going to invite you into a life that is so much greater than what we know already And in that life, it's going to require us to pick up our cross and follow, but it is a a life greater than even the things that we give up for that sake. Our invitation is to follow, to listen, and to show the gospel of Jesus to those around us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are a gracious Savior. A Savior who stands with open arms and says to the disciples, don't put anything in the way for the children to come to Him. God, I pray that we would be those who don't set up extra rules and regulations around following Jesus that are not what Jesus has explicitly called us to do in following Him. Jesus, would we take our cue from You more than the traditions and the the laws that as humans we've made up to make ourselves feel religious or good about ourselves. Jesus, would we not be those who, like we talked about last week, tell people that they have to look like us in order to follow Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that your death on the cross and your resurrection makes it possible for all of us, despite the kind of life that we live, despite the kind of mistakes that we've made, to be able to come freely to you. To lay down our lives, to pick up our cross and follow the way knowing that it leads to something even greater. It's in your name we pray. Amen.